live on episode 17 of First Strike. This is your host, KYT, back with Robert Lombardi and Brian Gottlieb. But before we start the show, I just want to mention quick thanks to our sponsor, FaceToFaceGames.com, the number one place to get your MTG singles. But they have other card games as well. And if you're in Canada, you can definitely get that's the best place to get your sealed product and even your Yu-Gi-Oh! card fight, Vanguard, any other card games, your sleeves. Just get them at facefacegames.com. Hey, guys, how's it going? Everything's great, man. Yeah, life, life's okay, I think. <laughs> We've got a lot to talk about. just want to also give a, a special thanks to people who came up to me during We All Went to GP New Jersey. want to thank anyone that just walked up to me. To, to say thanks for the show. They just stopped me and said, hey, KYT, I just want to thank you for all the work that you've done. And that means a lot to me. I mean, you don't have to, if it's on your means, to support our Patreon at patreon.com slash first strike. You can just like this YouTube video, subscribe to the channel. We're 17 away from 1,000, so that would make us really happy. You follow us on Twitter at first strike pod. Uh, share, tweet about the the cast tweet about the show that's live right now and that you're enjoying it, like us on Facebook. We've got a Facebook page as well. But, of course, if you do join our Patreon, especially the $10 uh, mark tier, you got access on Friday night, by Friday night, to a top eight GP list by our own Robert Lombardi. Uh, Rob, you just laid it out there. You, you, you posted that. And then, well, you apparently you only confused me because in the replies – you screenshotted a bunch of different decks, and I thought, oh, my God, he's just making last-minute, midnight-hour changes. He's moving. Like, the first screenshot was, okay, it looks like what he's been playing with. And then I see, like, two shocks in the main, all the fatal pushes in the sideboard. I was like, what's going on? Has Rob lost his mind? But I was wrong. Rob, what, what, what was going on? Yeah, ho- hopefully, like, not everyone was confused. <laughs> I, I led the post with... Here's my 75 sideboard notes coming. And then I just posted a bunch of moto photos with different deck names. It was like Mardu Vehicles, SB for sideboard, Four Color Sahili, Mardu Vehicles, SB, uh, Mirror on the play, Mirror on the draw, etc. <laughs> so, yeah, if you didn't notice that, then um, that was, uh, yeah, it was probably not wise. But I was like still pretty sick then. And my brain was not exactly functional, um, and I needed to go to sleep. <laughs> so <clears throat> that's what happened. But I, I did uh, – everywhere you saw the Abyssin in the sideboard, um, that retroactively changed to a Nahiri by the time I got to, like, the fifth sideboard note or whatever it was. I was like, this is just never coming in. So I needed to make it something else, and we just kind of had a very quick chat in our room, and uh, we decided we – don't have the mana to play Chandra, so we played Nahiri instead just to have another walker that's reasonable against green, black, and kind of the other matchups where you want to be a control deck. Okay, so to, to help Kyle like bookend and, and for his show notes, we're each going to talk about right now our quick GP New Jersey tournament report. Uh, later on, we're going to talk about the, the no bands. We're going to talk about CBFB events. We're going to talk about some of the questions that people in our First Strike Nation Facebook group asked us. So continuing with Rob, like you were – I was worried because we, we saw that you, you were playing that list. You tweaked it a bit from Brian's original 75 that you queued uh, the, RP, the PT with at the RPTQ, and then you disappeared – for over 24 hours. I couldn't get a hold of you, and I asked Misplaced Ginger, Derek Pike, where the hell you were. 
Nowhere to be found. No response. Uh, yeah, I got I got the flu, and it was real bad. <laughs> I was rendered um, like a hundred percent useless for like thirty six hours or something like that. <laughs> uh, I, I've like I've had the you know I've had the flu a bunch. Obviously, it's a normal thing to kind of contract that thing every once in a while. This was by far the worst I've ever had it. <laughs> I was like unable to think, unable to move. Uh, I just hung out near the toilet for like uh, a day and a half. So how but, did you make uh, those final changes then if you were sick and near the toilet? Were you just well, like theorizing while you were vomiting? Like, what was no, going no. On? <laughs> so um, on the way – so I just slept for two days or whatever uh, to rest up. And then on the way down, I was like, okay, every time there was a conversation break, I was like, okay, we're just going to talk about the deck because four people in my car out of five were playing it. And I'm like, we're just going to go over – kind of everything about it and where we want to be with the list and um, where we want the sideboard to be and kind of like, you know, what are the last slots uh, that we want to play. So on the way down, we decided that we're going to kind of go back to something closer to my RPTQ uh, list, but have um, less red, all black, the only red card being unlicensed integration, and then play two Talias in the main and two Avacins in the main to kind of hedge against the four-color matchup. It's still it's still good in the mirror, um, and we were going to play four ballistas main deck. So like our our deck was like very good against Mardu and four colors of Healy uh, in game one, regardless if we were kind of on the player of the draw, and that was uh, I think a reasonable choice. And I'm glad we were kind of um, you know took took that stance. And then we just like went over all of the sideboarding like all all the sideboarding options. And we ended up cutting like the Oath of Chandra's and the Painful Truce and the Skywheeler Shot deck and stone all that stuff. And kind of like really just leaned out the list. Changed the mana base around a little bit to have a slightly more red mana in it than I uh, had previously. So I cut the Shambling bed for Needle Spire, stuff like that. And we decided to play for Aether Hub, which was like an hour and a half discussion. Um, and then, yeah, and then that last minute change, just kind of like changing that Addison into a Nahiri. So, that, like, yeah, all of the final touches on the deck list were made on the car ride down. <laughs> As I was just like theory crafting about the matchups <laughs> to, uh, you know, to save myself from going completely bored on the eight-hour drive. <laughs> All right. So you, we got to that point. You finished eighth. Um, Brian, how did you get to changing from Team Mardu, which all of us on First Strike endorsed, to but, – but you were on Four Colors, so Healy people in First Strike Nation knew that because you played that at the PPTQ. I think you top-aided. Didn't close, right? Uh, I, I did top-eight. I finished uh, fourth at the PPTQ. Um, I don't really know how I moved to that. It was just like, this is going to sound kind of mean. My PPTQs locally are very easy. And I was like, uh, I can just go play Sahili with no experience and I'll probably do just as well as I would with Mardu. Um, so I, I thought it would do me some good to kind of like get some perspective on Sahili, understand that deck a little bit better. And I showed up, played with it, enjoyed it. I thought it was a good deck. And it just kind of happened the way like my conversations were flowing Throughout the week, um, the people I ended up talking the most to um, were my friends, Dangerous Dan Jordan and Ben Friedman, who were working on Sahili. And so we were just bouncing ideas back and forth. And um, if you've seen Ben's deck, the one that finished second, a lot of that stuff was stuff we talked about. A lot of it was stuff we got from uh, First Strike Nation member, Misplaced Ginger, uh, Derek Pite, right? Is that right? Pite? Um, yeah, so he's been just crushing the Moto Leagues for forever now. 
Um, and you know, he was doing some cool stuff with like walking ballista main and, uh, he had traverses every now and then. So we kind of like cribbed a bunch of these ideas, um, did our own kind of testing. We ended up with 19 lands. Um, and a lot of people were like, you can't play 19 lands. Oh, you can play 19 lands. You can play 19 lands very safely. And for a while we had 18 lands. Um, that's how dramatically kind of overbuilt the other mar the other uh, Sahili lists are you you're way better off playing search spells especially when you decide you want something like traverse which walking ballista does a fantastic job of enabling um you're able, we played i think ben played five i played six search spells uh three traverse three attunes and 19 lands and the mana felt fine it was never an issue um, we were able to to get to the spells we needed to cast. And, you know, if you guys have played a lot of Sahili, you'll understand that in the mid-game, drawing a few lands in a row can just be a death sentence. You really need to be able to chain your spells together and keep pressure up. Um, so I, I really like my list. Unfortunately, I'm not good at Magic anymore, and I just didn't play that well. Uh, I, made, I mean, I really only threw, threw one game away. Uh, well, I don't even know if I threw it away. I didn't give myself the best chance to win via my play um, in one case, and I made a poor mulligan decision in another time, but you don't, you don't have a lot of losses to give in a GP. I mean, I've always said that to win a GP, to top eight a GP, you need to both play perfectly and get lucky, uh, and I didn't really do either. So I was 3-0, KYT treated, tweeted out my record. Every time he does that to me, I never win again. So <laughs> I was down at 3-3. My heart wasn't in it, and I dropped at that point. Um, but I, I thought my deck was excellent. I had a friend who... Uh, he used it to my exact 75. He used it to make his first ever day two at a GP. He was really excited. Uh, and he missed cashing by the last round. And obviously, Ben did really well. I think we, his list and my list were about, uh, I think, three cards off in the main and three or four off in the sideboard. Um, I still like my decisions better, but he's he's holding the chips. So I'll probably go with his list, I guess. Um but yeah, it was an interesting GP. I had a really good time. It was great seeing everyone. I got to catch up with Rob and KYT. And it's my first time meeting Rob in person, actually, even though we do the show every week. Um, so yeah, I traveled out to Brooklyn, got some great Italian food after Saturday night. That was awesome. My old hometown. Um, so yeah, good GP. Not a great result, but uh, we'll make it up in the next one, I think. <laughs> I'm hoping. I hope so. Yeah. Um, but we're still like even with with Rob's th three GP top eight. I think the the race to first to top eight a PT is still is still up for grabs by one of the first strike hosts. It's still live for a couple more months. <laughs> oh, he's got two shots. So <laughs> favorite to take the lead there. But before I, I I'll just use one of the uh, again to plug our first strike nation uh, to start my report because it's it's linked. It's a question by some guy named. Robert Lombardi, he says that, Car Young Tom, you could have played a list that's top aided, but you chose not to. Why? Oh, man. So, Mr. Lombardi, Ooh, that is a great <laughs> question. It had nine Facebook likes, by far the most likes of all the questions posted in the nation. And uh, you got me. I mean, your car, uh, out of the people, uh, a lot of the people that have. Uh, Sign up on our team. Played your list. They all made day two, right? Uh, right, Rob. Uh, one person lost his winning in for day two, but uh, we finished. We had the royal sampler, as my car called it. Uh, we finished eight one seven two six three uh, five four. <laughs> <laughs> so all in all, like a very positive record. I ended up making day two at six three. 
didn't have a great um, day two itself, despite. But I had fun because I played against different pros that I've just watched stream and played them for the first time. Like I played against Gao, I played against Reduke, I played against Mike Sigris. So on all, a fun day two experience to be able to play some of the best in the world. I ended up playing a more red-white focused um, Mardu list after talking uh, to my friend Jay Lanzal and reading PV's article. And I did agree with some of his points. Um, I did feel like I didn't, in, in my finals of PPTQ, I didn't love Ballista as much as the rest of the guys here. I, so I decided to, to go the motorist route. I don't really regret that decision. Um, like Brian, who says um, his list looks like Ben Friedman's at top eight, my list actually looks really close to Jarvis Yu, who came to the same conclusion. And I just didn't like in the PPTQ, I just didn't really love uh, Ballista. It, at least in, in game one, it wasn't that impressive to me. Like the There is those situations where you blow the opponent out when they have like one motorist or one exemplar. But a lot of times now, like, people are moving away from that and sideboarding some of them out. And a lot of times you're facing against, like, two scroungers or a scrounger in the heart of Kieran. So there's also a lot of situations where you don't blow them out with that card. With that said, I did talk with Brian um, on day two after the GP was done that maybe I considered Ballista possibly a sideboard card like Jarvis U did because both opponents in the mirror you you sort of a lot of people currently are shifting to this control deck and so the game goes longer and you have your more your ballista has a greater chance of being a 2-2 a 3-3 or even a 4-4 because the games are going longer so that threat of you know tapping out eight making a 4-4 killing the opposing avacyn is a real thing because it goes longer um, I don't feel that way in game one where a lot of times going first and having some sort of tool craft start, you know, you end up winning fairly easily. So that's how I felt. And so I'm going to explore that more. I'm going to talk to Rob a lot more about um, the benefits of, of Ballista and, and stuff like that moving forward to see what I would play. But, you know, it looks like Jarvis also had great success with the conclusions that I came uh, to as well. So we'll see. Rob, how was your tournament as a whole? Were there any crazy matches you want to mention? Anything uh, and what you would play moving forward? Your What changes? Yeah, it wasn't uh, – nothing too savage happened. Um, I think I played mostly well. I made uh, probably one mistake uh, in the match I lost on round one – or sorry, on day one, um, where I like kind of had the opportunity to like throw away a heart, and then I could have – uh, kind of Nahiri down to kill my opponent's Reality Smasher, which was like definitely going to die when they untap on License Disintegration, um, my like only creature, and then Nahiri. But I tried to like keep the Nahiri around because I felt that um, if I could let it live and deal with a Reality Smasher, it was going to be better. But uh, it just didn't really work out for me. And the Reality Smasher ended up being my, my demise. And that's where I kind of picked up my one and only loss um, in the Swiss. Um, yeah, I don't know. Like the deck was, uh, running medium well, and that's all kind of all it takes. And my opponents were playing a little bit subpar sometimes when I needed them to, like, uh, there's two rounds where I definitely should have lost, uh, in, I believe it was a game three, both times. And my opponent just made like an overly aggressive attack on a board state where they're already winning. So 
like they had, let's say, eight power worth of creatures. Like one was against a Mardu opponent, one was against um, a four color opponent. I get the Mardu opponent uh, like released like my whole board basically, made two gremlins, and then like tapped them both to crew uh, his heart, and then tapped uh, like another creature that could block like an inspector to crew uh, harvester, and then sent his two scrap peeps in, and. Like, it didn't really change the clock. I had two chump blockers, um, and his flyers were going to put me to to two anyways or whatever. Um, and I had two unlicensed disintegration in hand. So I just, like, block both of his guys, unlicensed disintegration, his only blocker, untap, unlicensed disintegration, something else. And, like, my board is now, like, Clue, Toolcraft Exemplar, and he was at, at nine the, the turn previous. So I just, like, exacted him out of nowhere. But there was, like, really no reason for him to try and get in with, like, the non-flyers. Like, he could have crewed Heart with Scrounger, crewed Harvester with with his other Scrounger, and just, like, got in for the same seven, right? Like, making me chump block with my Thraven Inspectors isn't really going to, like, win you the game or whatever when you have four blockers. So, and I have Inspectors that are, you know, just fodder anyways. But uh, I, you know, thank you, sir, for doing that. <laughs> Um, and then four color, like the same, the same kind of thing happened. Like my opponent was at seven. Um, he had a bunch of thopters and three energy and like some virtuosos and some other stuff. And he like made an attack that put me to, to three or four or something like that. But like he had so many creatures that if he would have put me to six or seven, it was all the same. Right. And the only way I could win is if I like play Abyssin, he doesn't have harness lightning. Um, I unlicense disintegration, something like at the end of his turn to, to remove a blocker, um and and uh, get some damage in and then attack with Avison and also draw an unlicensed disintegration to um to kill the like the one thopter he could make or whatever right so I drew hungry flames I ended up killing the blocker and he didn't use his tamio to like tap my one thraven inspector anyways so then I was able to just do him exactsies <laughs> he's just kind of sitting there with like a natural state in hand like you know what have I just done. <laughs> Um, and it was it was nice that I drew the hungry flames when when he decided that he wanted to natural state uh, to kind of protect the damage. Like if it was unlicensed integration, he could have killed his doctor in response um, and it saved himself that life. But because it was hungry flames, it takes the two no matter what. Um, and I was able to kind of eke out a win there that probably uh, I shouldn't have been able to do. But I don't know. I guess that's kind of a GP, right? Like Brian said, you need to get a little bit lucky and play pretty good, <laughs> and then you can uh, you can end up in a in a top eight. Uh, Position, well, right? You told me like you were winning. Well, at one point you were bragging about how you were winning all the dice rolls. Like, yeah, like, let it roll or something. When you're on the play, like game one is almost um, almost a guarantee, um, unless you you know mul- mul- have to mull to a hand that doesn't have a toolcraft exemplar in it. Um, I had a lot of hit sevens that had toolcraft and exemplar or toolcraft, or not sorry, toolcraft and scrounger or toolcraft and heart, um, and I hit. You know, a reasonable amount of turn four Gideons, which is just like pretty unbeatable on the play for almost every deck in standard. Um, so yeah, I don't know. Yeah, the deck's very good. Like when it draws hot, you just crush people. <laughs> yeah, it reminds me of like blue white, uh, just blue white copter where turn two copter, like here turn one exemplar with a reasonable rest of your hand. Just you just seem like you're probably going to win unless something goes really wrong. Yeah, absolutely. So as far as like changes to the deck going forward. Um, I wouldn't really change anything in the main deck except for maybe the mana base a little bit. I might, like, cut a hub and a swamp for, like, a shambling vent and, like, any red-black duel. Um, I'm not sure if, like, Smoldering Marsh is better than Fortif... 
foreboding runes. Probably Smoldering Marsh is better, like very marginally though. Um, just because like in the later games, I found that uh, if we got really grindy, I was sometimes not able to produce the black I needed because I either didn't have an artifact or my hub, my hubs had no energy, or like I couldn't make uh, double white. And I, I like another red, like a permanent red source in the in the list as well, just to kind of help out and cast like the releases and the hungry flames kind of uh, out of the board without um, having to rely on burning, uh, you know, burning the energy there. So that's that's kind of where I would start. And if someone could find a good replacement for Nahiri, I'd be interested to know what that is. She probably needs to get replaced too. She was not. Uh, definitely not insane, um, and uh, everything else on the sideboard was, you know, pretty pretty expected. And I, I really wouldn't change anything. I kind of like how it matches up against the format, and the format's not changing, so sideboard's still pretty good. <laughs> I saw um, I saw Reed Duke was playing Soren, I think, in the board, uh, so maybe I'd try that out, or maybe an anguish I'm making something like that. It's, it's reasonable. Uh, who, who did you say was playing? I think it was Redo or not? not no, he was playing. Oh, Retail, Paul Retail, Paul Retail. Yeah. Oh, yeah, Retail was on some weird green white deck or something like that. Yeah, he was. I played against him. He was playing green white like aggro with with Heart of Kirin, Gideon, and Sylvan Advocates. Um, interesting list. Like, uh, yeah, it was an Andy an Andy Boswell list. It was it was one of uh, the Boz's creations. Andy's really good at building those aggressive, like quasi aggressive mid rangey decks. He was a expert at tuning uh, Abzan aggro back in the day. His Abzan aggro list looked like nobody else's and uh they were consistently very far ahead so i know that's where reed got his list from for uh for this tournament i think he started day two either x1 or x2 and then ended up like having a some bad luck like lost three in a row lost to me where he started turn two heart into turn four gideon and i had absolutely nothing but he proceeded to draw like six lands in a row or multiple double white spells and then get double white so it was a game where uh, i was actually ready to concede but it just goes to show it showed me once again that sometimes if like even if all seems lost or there is some hope like it was heart and gideon and i had nothing absolutely nothing on board and i was able to come back so there are a little small percentage of games where even if you feel like conceding you can come back um, n- nice point about the uh, mana base, Rob, especially since like Raptor played like Harvester just to make sure, I guess, like the bonus of it is to make sure the hubs are good. And now that you're playing less of that and, and less of that, you're going to need more fixing and-, and hubs are not that great without uh, some. There was like at one point they played old Marty list played that 2-1 that just white guy, right? Or something that came into play with energy. Just yeah, so he-, that- he was a one of for a little while. Don't play him though. You're yeah. you're better off just getting rid of the either of. What, what, what yeah. card is this? There's like a card. I don't even know what it's called. It blinks itself for your like two energy. I think oh, it's it has a three one for two. Yeah, Aether Geode Miner or something. Yeah, Geode something Miner. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, I, I have a good story. Uh, Brian will love this. Someone in like round twelve in the X one bracket played Dund Operative against me. Hmm? Yeah, and I had a buddy who played it and thought it was very good. I rolled him because I got to shock it. <laughs> but uh, I was like, oh, wow, spicy. But I'm sure it's like, it seems like it's very good against green black. It is. And, uh, and it crews heart. So, I mean, it's yeah. definitely uh, in consideration. I think if they would have banned something um, like Gideon, then maybe you might see that probably popping up. Yeah, if um, green black uh, ever comes back, it's that's going to be the first card I look to. But I don't think green black is coming back. So 
Ben Stark had an interesting list. The list that we were talking about last week, actually, they figured it out. <laughs> so um, I was I actually spent some time on it on Tuesday, I think, before the GP, um, trying to figure out like how this Jund artifact aggro deck might might work. That gets to like you know play all the good black cards, but also play license integration, but also play like you know the snack plan or something like that, right? Um, but we were kind of like stuck trying to make a deck that could crew heart, um, and never really figured out how that was going to work. And then we kind of tried the same thing with a delirium strategy instead of energy and like, didn't really look like a real deck and we're like, okay, yeah, I guess this is just not a thing, but uh, their, their kind of big revelation was just like, yeah, you know, like don't play the hearts, just play like the normal energy strategy and play scrap heap scroungers um, and ballistas and the verdurous gear Hulk. And that's like, seems to be enough artifacts to turn on the license integration. So um, I know that uh, everyone on that list was doing reasonably well, uh, into the tournament, and uh, Ben was like one of the undefeated players, like all the way up to like the 13th or 14th round. So um, the list looks interesting. I don't know if it has legs, but it's probably something to <laughs> to watch. I mean, like if you just unless this integration is one of the best cards, Brian. Sorry, I'm not sure if you heard. Oh yes, <laughs> wasn't here last episode. But uh, yeah, if you get to jam it in your deck for free, I think it's it's probably worth um, you know worth the considerations. Definitely better than Grasp of Darkness, right? So. Um, yeah, I don't know. It, it's interesting. I'm, I'm gonna kind of keep my eye on on that list and see uh, see how how it evolves. Right. What would you play uh, moving forward? Are you are you on your list still? Um, going to play something closer to your boy Friedman's, or gonna tweak Mardu again? What, what are you looking to do? Man, I don't I don't know. Play one of these two decks. Don't don't handicap yourself with something else. It, this is a solid format. These are the best two decks. Um, think carefully about your sideboard. Think carefully about. Um, I guess you can start thinking about your local metagame. Like if you know a bunch of people show up with the Sahili deck, you can start, you know, tweaking your sideboard slots that way. But at this point, I think you probably do yourself a disservice by kind of changing horses midstream. If you've had a deck up to this point, um, if as long as it's Mardu or Sahili, if you've had Mardu or Sahili up to this point, stay with it. Um, if you haven't, start playing it because this is the correct decision. And as we know now, things are not going to be changing. So, our boy Mike Flores, he tried. He tried. He got featured the he first two try. rounds. He lost he both try. of them. <laughs> I, I told Mike that I did not think that deck was very good. And what did he, he play? Did, he played black green Aetherworks Marvel. Uh, it was <laughs> essentially he did. It was essentially forty-five spells that did nothing. Uh, four Ulamogs, four Noxious Gearhulks, and four Aetherworks Marvel, and some removal spells, and it was not. Uh, it was actually my first ever 05 in a league. Sorry, Mike. My my first ever in the history of leagues, I went 05. Um, I couldn't even bring myself to tell him that before the GP because he was so excited about it. I was like, I'm not going to bring him down. I told him after I was I had lost a couple games, I'm like, I don't know if this is that good, Mike. But I never reported back to him that I just didn't even win a match. <laughs> so he ended up taking it to the GP and not doing so well, I think. No, I, I think in his testing on Moto, he did a lot better. Um, afterwards, he he really he's like KYT, let's battle. I proceeded to roll him like possibly <laughs> ten games in a row. Um, and then he's like, "What's going on?" Until he finally he's like, "Okay, let's play one." Like the round's about to start. It's like let's play one last one, and and for a hundred points, a hundred points. He ends up like John Finkel's actually come, comes over and watches our game, and Flores ends up obviously ends up beating me in this one. And uh, even after that, John was getting on Flores for making a million misplays <laughs> against me for, 
for Matt or not. He said it's incredible, like how inefficient he was with his mana. Okay, <laughs> so we've been talking about no bands, so let's jump right off, right to that uh, today. Eric Lauer at 11 a.m. Pacific time posted on Watsi, and I'll just read a little snippet uh, from from that article. Uh, for Sander, there has emerged a big three. So Mardu Vehicles, Black Green Constrictor, and various Feldar Guardian Sahili Ray decks. While having three top-tier decks isn't unusual, we were concerned that they could be so strong as to crowd out all other decks. In particular, we look closely at the effect Feldar Guardian has on a format when it can be used in a game-ending combo. However, at Grand Prix Utrecht, we began to see some movement in the format, particularly the rise of Teamer Dynavolt Tower. Shout out to the chat as a potential addition to that upper echelon. With that kind of movement in the format, we thought it best to gather more data, including more GP and the inclusion of Admonkin at the Pro Tour while watching the format continue to shift before making any changes. Brian, what do you think about this statement? It's wrong, <laughs> right? Like, it's just wrong. Like. I agree with the ultimate conclusion that was reached here. I think bands probably, the impact of bands was more than the impact of having to play this format for a couple more months on the state of magic as a whole. Things would look very bad um, if they had to ban more cards and people were scared. People don't like losing value. People want to be able to trust that they're going to get to use their magic cards. Um, and the games in this format, they're not awful. They're, they're fine games. Um, however, this deck diversity that they're talking about does not exist. It doesn't even come close to existing. I've known for a few weeks now that black green is not a playable deck. Most people you talk to will tell you that black green is not a playable deck. Ben Stark aside, obviously a tremendously talented player who evolved the deck a little bit, but I, I don't see that deck kind of breaking up the monopoly of Sahili and Mardu. I mean, look, there was... 16 top eight slots this weekend across two GPs. 15 of them went to Mardu or Sahili. That's, those are some unprecedented numbers. That probably beats even the Cobblade error in terms of lack of deck diversity. I mean, there was like three or four reasonable decks at that time. There's, there's really only two reasonable decks right now. Um, so, you know, thinking Teamer Tower is going to solve it. If you talk to Teamer Tower players, even good Teamer Tower players, I spoke to... Uh, I'm blanking on his name now. A really young guy, great former great Yu-Gi-Oh player, uh, Oliver. Uh, he's had like some mild success. Uh, he's a local Northeast guy, and he did very well at the GP with Teamer Tower. Uh, he said the matchup is at best 50-50 against Mardu. It's just not a favorable matchup, and the matchup against Sahili is like okay, but Sahili's starting to plan. Like Ben played, um, what's the what's the Hydra? Bristling Hydra. Uh, they can't deal with that card at all. That just is an absolute blowout for them. So the the Mardu and Sahili decks are not only the best decks, they adapt to the format better than the other decks as well. So their statement is kind of misleading. I, I don't think they're, that we do have a healthy format. There's no good momentum going towards the Teamer deck. But I'm cool with this for the most part. Like I, I, I think they reached the correct decision. But longtime listeners of the show will know my big problem was that they opened this second band window in the first place. I said it was one of the worst decisions Wizards has ever made. And you are seeing the impact of that right now because a lot of people are disappointed today that one of these cards wasn't banned. Um, you know, the cat combo isn't fun to play against. Having a game end like that, it's, it's not intuitive. Like, that's kind of an outdated form of magic. And it's nice once in a while, but 
I mean, are we really going to go through two years of this? That seems crazy that this combo sticks around for uh, a full two years. I mean, people will be very sick of it at that point. But if, if this second ban window hadn't been opened, like bannings would be something about that was kind of, something that was kind of joked about. You know, it wouldn't be something that people would actually expect and thought were coming. People were convinced. I mean, look at the movement in the, the moto markets this weekend. The Gideon flew up and down. I'm sure Sahili was up and down. I know tons of people who sold their Sahilis after the tournament this weekend. Those people have to go buy it again. I mean, the amount of uncertainty that Wizards introduced into our world with this second banning window is in no way worth the flexibility that they now have. Because honestly, they held that flexibility anyway. If things were that bad, they could have done emergency bannings. And if you're treating the banning window like, oh, we're only going to use this in the case of an emergency anyway, well, what's the difference? Why did you even open this window to raise expectations at this point? Um, yeah, so half mad, half okay. Like I said, right decision. You can't you can't continue to mess with consumer confidence. It would have been very, very bad for the game. I personally would be happier if the combo was gone. I, I want a more interesting format. Um, but I, I know why it has to stay. I just don't think we needed all the uncertainty and all the hype and all the stressing about this, and it's entirely created by Wizards. Hmm. Yeah, I tend to agree with a lot of Brian's comments, unfortunately. It's a shame Doug wasn't here to just, like, you know, toot his own horn. Whatever. Oh, he loves the banning window so much. It's crazy. <laughs> it makes no sense. Yeah. So I definitely don't like the banning window because it, it sets an expectation that it doesn't need to be there. Right. So Brian kind of already went over that and, and, and I agree, but I disagree that they, sh- that it was correct for them not to use it. Um, so I definitely think that like something deserves to be banned in this standard or unbanned. Like, I think this format would actually be better if they just unbanned Emrakul and unbanned Copter, regardless of like what it does to those decks. Then you have Teamer Marvel, which is a real competitor again. You have Green Black, which is not a competitor like <laughs> like Eric Lauer seems to think it is currently. It would become a, a competitor again. Mardu would still be the hot business, and the four color deck would also be the hot business, right? So like they don't gain. I mean, Mardu gets Copter, but I kind of had Heart already. Um, so maybe it's playing like four copter, uh, two heart and like, you know, ballista and caravan are kind of like, you know, get put on the back burner, which is like, you know, it's fine. It's like makes the deck a little bit better, but overall standard is just like raised in power level anyways. And if that's what you want, then at least there's like some more diversity there and everyone's able to do crazy stuff. The way it stands now, it's just like, this is one of the stupidest standard formats that I think has ever existed. It's close to the power level of like, Alara Reborn Zendikar standard, which was like just completely ludicrous with like Jund and Mythic Bant and like Naya Lightsaber, Vengevine Stoneforge, Mystic Bonkers stuff that's going on, like casting Sovereigns of Alara on turn three and just like attacking with a 12, uh, 12 11 Lotus Cobra. <laughs> like, what are you guys thinking? Like, I mean, the, the aggro deck goes like turn one, three power creature, turn two, four power creature, uh, turn, turn five. Add something to the board, remove your blocker. Next turn, kill your blocker, deal you three damage. Or put, like, the most uh, unreasonable Planeswalker in an aggro deck that's ever been printed onto the board. Like, it's just completely ludicrous, right? And then the four-color Sahili deck also is, like, as difficult or more to interact with than the Splinter Twin combo deck. Because, like, interacting with Planeswalkers is very annoying. There's very specific answers. And if you just, like, draw a hand... uh 
that doesn't have any of those answers to which there's not like an overabundance of and a lot of them are easily responded to then you can you literally just lose like if they just go like servant other thing turn one oath turn two servant turn three cat blink oath get sahili and they just like have they can just have negate and sahili up like in what world are you ever winning that game as a turn four kill like that just that shouldn't be standard, right? Even the green-black deck has the opportunity to nut out. It's completely ridiculous. Like, I played in a league today, and my opponent goes, like, uh, Blooming Marsh, Attune, get two energy. Oh, okay, cool, I'm playing against green-black, I'm playing Mardu. Like, yeah, whatever, this, sh- this should be a buy, right? He's like, untap uh, Long Tusk Cub. Okay, cool, it's the energy version. E- even easier then, right? Like, my Fumigates are going to be great. He untaps, plays Snake, plays Aether Hub, Puts four counters on his long tusk cub and attacks me for six on turn three. Like, <laughs> what is going on? Like, <laughs> I played a scrap heap scratcher and got slapped for six. Like, <laughs> and he untaps and plays a ballista with three counters on it. Yeah, okay, cool. It, it doesn't matter. He kills the only thing I have that can block um, and then slaps me for another uh, eight and, uh, you know, just has a bunch of energy on reserve. I was dead. I was dead with nothing I could do. Before I could even cast Fumigate. <laughs> it was, uh, I don't know, it was pretty pretty ludicrous. Um, and then the Marvel decks also have the same possibility, right? They're just like, Puzzle Knot, Crack Puzzle Knot, Marvel. Did I hit Ulamog? Are you dead? So, like, everyone's trying to kill you by turn four. Um, and it's just, I don't know, it's just stupid. Like, they didn't want this in Modern. Why would they want it in Standard? Um, but I don't think they can do anything. Because if they ban Cat, then Mardu's, like, 100% the best deck. Um, it's, like, not even close to being close. Um, if they ban Heart... Like, that doesn't really do anything. The green-black deck is still, like, completely bonkers then if Mardu and, and Four Color are dead. And the, the Marvel deck is also super annoying to play against. So they'd have to ban, like, six or seven cards before this format even starts to look like anything we're used to. I don't know. It's just I'm very disappointed in them. This is very stupid. I hope it ends very quickly. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring some more bad news to the party. And I actually want to say that I think your Emrakul Smuggler's Copter idea is maybe the best idea I've heard. I think that was a very reasonable approach. I think that would make the format very interesting. I guess you shouldn't have made the mistake in the first place if if that's the case, but you made it. So at this point, attune for it and, and bring those cards back. Um, but here's a really scary thought, is that when they were testing Amonkhet internally, they did so under the assumption that they were on a tighter rotation. They have never tested Gideon with Amonkhet before. That it just hasn't happened. They don't know its impact. So for people thinking there may be answers buried in Amonkhet, well, it's just as likely that Gideon is pushed over the freaking moon because they didn't have to worry about how cards interacted with Gideon at the time. Um, so I don't. I, we're not necessarily headed to anything better. Um, we're yes, headed to better mana. That's almost a, a sure, right? Because like yeah. they thought that the BFC check lands or whatever they're called reveal lands were leaving, and they need to replace them with something. So we're we're gonna have some real good like Marfu's gonna get real good when Almanket lands. Yeah, you don't, you don't have to think about the mana anymore. <laughs> Just play whatever spells you want. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a scary state of affairs. And to your point, you know, I'm always very careful about recency bias, and um, you know, I I hate. I hate the thought that maybe I liked old formats because I won more back then. Like that's just something I really want to avoid because I'm not winning a ton right now. Um, but I don't think it's the case because I was in my car ride back from New Jersey and we were just like talking about old standards and even standards that some people hate. 
Like, man, I would go back to playing mono black mirrors in a second. In a second, I would go play those gray merchant mirrors. They were so much better than what we're playing now. And and deck building choices were so much more interesting. And you talked about, um, you know, Alara Lock as a kind of a model of degeneracy. I love Jung games. Like, I thought they were super interesting. I, I would play all those decks again in a heartbeat over what we're playing right now. So... Um, and I don't think that's recency bias on my behalf. I, I think those are just legitimately better formats that a lot more people would enjoy. I mean, tournament attendance is down, right? We're seeing GP numbers go down. This GP in New Jersey was smaller than the last one, which was smaller than the one before that. I don't know if that's based on the quality of standard, but I do know that I don't love standard right now. Um, and I, I think it's due to mismanagement. Um, you know, I, you almost wonder if, because they were so scared of combo, cat combo was why those three bands came together. And they knew they had to ban Reflector Mage. And if they just banned Reflector Mage, people would have went, what? Because that makes no sense. Like, that was the one that everyone paused the most about. Imagine if that was just by itself. If that was the only band that came out in that period. How crazy that would have looked. People would have been like, what is going on right now? But that was the band that, like, I don't think anyone is saying bring back Reflector Mage, right? Like, can you imagine cat combo with Reflector Mage in the picture? Which is what I said when that band was announced. That it was just like, this card can't be in the same format as Saheeli Rai and Felidar Guardian. It would be miserable for every aggro deck. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think that was actually the play. I think if just Reflector Mage had been banned, we'd be dealing with much better standard right now. Crazy to think that way. Indeed. <laughs> We already shouted out Doug before, and uh, just wanted to quickly mention Dan Magyar from First Strike Nation, who had this question. We, we talked about already a bit with uh, both of your responses, but he, he wanted to add, is Wizards trying to establish precedent that bans will be very rare, even when the meta is being dominated, to try to reestablish the expectations that bans don't happen in standard? Well, if that's what you want to do, don't open a second window. Like, it's the easiest thing to do is just don't say, hey, we're going to be doing more bands now. Like, just keep the system as it was. And that would not, we just wouldn't be dealing with any of this. Like, it's such a stupid thing to do with no utility whatsoever. If that was their intention, they did the absolute wrong thing. Yeah, I thought they said they were going to be a little more liberal with the bannings too. I don't know. I have to double check their verbiage. But, I mean, to implement it, because of you broke standard and then not use it when standard's broken seems like also kind of a weird precedent to set. But um, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't think they're like trying to do anything. I honestly just think they can't fix this standard and they're hoping that like people have their decks. So let's not rock the boat, whatever. Just keep playing, please don't get out of the game. completely. <laughs> and uh, hopefully Amonkhet like has something uh, good, but like for Amonkhet to compete with Kaladesh, it also has to be completely off the chain. Like, uh, Kaladesh is just, every, every, these artifact blocks, they're always just, you know, completely bonkers. I don't know, just always. stop. Always, 100% stop of the time. Just stop it. Just stop it. Energy is stupid. The artifact blocks are stupid. I just, I don't know. Oh, I'm sick and it hurts my head. I can't talk about it anymore. <laughs> okay, let's move on to another topic. Um, CFB events take over. So... Uh, this was a, a huge announcement uh, when it came, comes to the Grand Prix that are being run every year. And 
Helene Bourgeau in her article. I'm just going to read a snippet starting in 2018. Channel Fireball Events, CFBE, will be Wizards of the Coast exclusive global partner to run all Grand Prix. CFBE is a company newly formed by Channel Fireball and Sightline Productions. Channel Fireball probably doesn't need much of an introduction. They have provided magic content, hosted successful uh, Grand Prix, and brought their own brand of event coverage to magic streaming. I think most of the streamers like they they have like they produce content for CFB. Sightline Productions, meanwhile, has been more involved in Magic than you might realize. They have been a long-standing partner with Wizards for producing conventions such as PAX West and events including the Pro Tour. If you've ever tuned into a Pro Tour and enjoyed the slick graphics, the studio setup, or the ambiance of the feature match area, that's Sightline Productions. What was your initial reaction to this announcement, Mr. Lombardi? I think, see, so you, you want my reaction <laughs> reaction before I went to the Channel Fireball GP in New Jersey or after being there? Well, we'll do, let's, let's focus on, I guess, the announcement in general, and then we'll talk about our, our uh, GP experience uh, specifically. So, I mean, there's definitely some good that's going to come of it. Like, coverage is going to be more consistent. It's going to be better. So there's going to be a better experience for viewers. Oh, okay, cool. The events will become more standardized, probably using the same staff, so they should be run with the same quality, and that quality should uh, improve over time. Okay, cool. That's good. What I don't like is that I think it's a little bit too much too soon. So they're giving too much power to CFB globally uh, before you know they're really ready for it. So I think it would have been fine to just do like, okay, we're going to cut out all the fat from these TOs and have like just SCG and CFB run American GPs for the next year. And I don't even know, like, the TOs in other parts of the world, right? Um, if it made sense to, like, pull one of these big American guys over there or not, then then do it. Or if it doesn't make – if there's, you know, some, like, entity mint card or, like, I, I don't know, whatever, how are you here? Or if those guys are doing that stuff, you know, in their regions, um, then, sure, that makes sense, right? Let, let them do that. So now you have these, like, kind of regional TOs set up. Um, and then, like, you'd have, like, maybe, like, face and gamekeeper or something like that. Even though I'm like not a huge fan of gamekeeper GPs, but like you know, sometimes they're okay. So uh, I mean, and Canada is very large, <laughs> so um, I, I guess it'd be fine to have two here just for geographic reasons. But I mean, uh, like giving all that all that responsibility, all that power to one TO, like right away, where like the precedence isn't really set. Like our GP price is just going to climb now. Like they're kind of in control of everything before we really know like what is the experience that the consumer wants. So like their GP for New Jersey was like $85 American, which is like $110 Canadian, which I think is absolutely ludicrous. And after when I talk about New Jersey, we'll talk about like how awful the event site was <laughs> and how I just like don't think the values there uh, given the price tag, I think they could have easily ran the event for like even $55 American or something like that and still made a boatload of money. Um, and yeah, like, I, I, I don't know. It's just, I, I feel like, you know, having all the TOs in the mix is not good, but having just one TO right now, where it's like kind of like no middle ground is also not the best approach, but I mean, it's going to be better for coverage, um, and better for consistency. So hopefully we just don't like, you know, kind of get screwed as the, in our, in our pocket books going forward. Um, that, that's kind of like my only concern, I guess. Brian. Yeah, I think you're looking at it a little bit the wrong way, Rob. Uh, this isn't so much getting power into the hands of one TO. It's 
Wizards reclaiming the power because it's not like they just handed all the tournaments to Channel Fireball. Channel Fireball is now a contractor who works for Wizards. Wizards is actually the one reclaiming the control here. They're not, I mean, granted, it is one company that's taken on this contract, but they are getting control of how that company is going to operate. Essentially, at this point, Channel Fireball is a Wizards employee. They've been hired by Wizards to do a task for Wizards. And to think that they just get to go willy-nilly decide, you know, GPs are now $400, which sounds great, by the way. Um, but, you know, they're not going to make all these arbitrary decisions. This is going to be a collaboration between Wizards and Channel Fireball. And this gets to points that we've talked about in the past where there does need to be more consistency among GPs, and this should lead to higher production standards. I do laugh a little bit when they say, if you really love Pro Tour coverage, you'll really love GP coverage, because I a lot of times don't love Pro Tour coverage, and I think maybe they should have considered uh, other production uh, contractors for this, as opposed to just going with their you know, tired and true Pro Tour contractors. Um, but we'll see how that plays out. They have made improvements over the years, so maybe they can continue to make improvements. Um, but thinking that Channel Fireball is just taking complete control of this is a little, I think, naive. I think it looks past the way contractors typically work for their employers. Uh, Wizards is going to have their hands in this. They're going to be controlling things. They're going to be carefully monitoring things. And we should be headed towards an era of stabilities, stability in GPs. Um, you know, in the past, there's been such a variance in experiences that payment methods have been all over the places. Sometimes you get paid in TVs as opposed to money. Um, <laughs> I understand that's a legal thing more than a, a TO thing, but I mean, these are the types of differences we've had to deal with over the years. Um, just getting this into the hands of one company is going to start to change that. And in defense of the event site, which is almost indefensible, I, I, I know it's like fairly gross, uh, not great, facilities, not great restrooms, um, not great food options. I guess the food options outside the convention center were fine, but within the convention center anyway, they were pretty mediocre. Um, convention space in the New York metro area is preposterously expensive, preposterously expensive. It's so expensive to run this event. And even in that dumpy area, I'm sure they paid a figure which would absolutely blow our minds. And doesn't compare to the cost of running a GP in a Canadian place or, you know, a Midwest place. And and maybe that speaks more to, well, why are they going to that area? But I mean, it's the largest metro area in the United States. So that's the answer to that. And they, they want to be in that market. Uh, it's just very cost prohibitive to operate in that market. So that's where that comes from. It, it was crappy. The facilities were crappy. But if you're going to be in the New York area, I think you're going to have to take what you get. Yeah, I, I don't know. <laughs> it's, it's just like, I mean, sure. Yeah, like New York is very populated, right? It's densely populated. But you don't have to have the event there. Like if you have it an hour or two away, like pe the people are still going to come, right? It's not I mean, like this, getting this around. This is 45 minutes from New York City. That That is 40, that's okay, 45 minutes. Like two, area. two hours away or something, right? Yeah, like, I mean, that's what I'm saying, though. Like that's that's why – Maybe they shouldn't be there, but if they are there, it's going to not be the most beautiful place you've ever been to. I mean that that's fair, but I, like eighty five dollars American and the event that there's like there's two bathrooms and they're garbage. They have like three <laughs> stalls each. Like it's just it's so crazy. It's just so crazy. Dude, bathrooms at GPs have been my number one sticking point for the longest time. Like it's like it's just the most horrible experience. Like how have is this not a point? of like 
utmost necessity. And to be fair, they put a bunch of gross porta potties outside. So at least they thought about it. But your answer is still disgusting. I don't care. Like, I want to be able to use the bathroom and not feel sick to my stomach. That's what I wanted to GP. That seems like I should get that for $85. But I don't get a lot about toilets today. I don't really know why. They're, they're coming up a lot. But I, I agree. Like, yeah, so um, I I also think it's kind of weird that if, if Watsi's going to, like, take back all of the control, as you said, right, and kind of give the contract to one TO or, like, make a new TO or whatever that's associated to some store or however they want to they wanna call it, then, like, why not just run it themselves then? Like, you know, if, if this is how you want it done, then do it the way you want it because, like, they then that money, that extra money would go somewhere. It would go to the prize pool. It would go to making the coverage better, making the side events better, having better promotional materials. Like it would go somewhere. It wouldn't just go to like some third party's uh, pocket, which I mean, I, I just don't see any reason like Channel Fireball doesn't need to make money off running GPs. No TO needs to make money off running GPs. They're a store. They're a large store. They sell a lot of cards. If they want to, like, that's what the market is. The market's not event running. Um, it's like, are they going to, you know, like they're never going to contract out the Pro Tour probably, right? So, like, what's the point in, in doing this? I feel like it's worth it for them to do it. I mean, if they, if, if CFB screws it up, then they can just cut them and say like, oh, you know, kind of wasn't our fault. CFB kind of screwed the pooch or whatever. And now we're going to have SCG or like whatever, Hari or someone else that had the second best bid kind of take over from here and, and manage things going forward. Sorry, you know, like that TO is bad. This next TO is going to be great. Whereas like if they screw up, then that's like some bad PR for them. But I feel like, you know, if you're ever at the Pro Tour, they do things pretty cleanly. It's usually at a good spot. It's usually run pretty nicely. Um, and they And they have a good setup. So I, I'm pretty sure they have the capacity to, or they could have the capacity if they wanted to, to uh, to do this. Like I don't know, bring the team into Watsi then. I, four four events versus fifty, Rob. It's a totally different thing. And you know, you, what do you say? Six events a year. Like they're also ramping up to fifty. No, they are. But it, it, you know, this is you're, you're in business. You you know how businesses operate. This is how businesses do business. They contract these things out because they don't want to take on the headache themselves. They would have to radically expand staff. And, you know, all this stuff goes against their budget then. And it's it's all very political and corporate. And as in most things that are political and corporate, it's the consumers who lose, not to get too political on first strike. But when, when these things happen, we're going to bear the brunt of it. And, you know, Wizards is a money-making operation like any other business and a lot of times contractors for efficiency, for simplicity, and for someone to pass the blame on to are your best option. That's why they contracted this out. Uh, it's just kind of the state of the way, you know, we do modern business. It, we're not going to benefit from it, but you understand why they did it. Yeah, sure. I mean, like, this is good for, like, the the online viewer and stuff. I just think it's bad for the de- person that's actually attending the GP. I think they're overall going to have on average, a worse experience for for more money. <laughs> but they do need they need fewer people to come to the GPs. They've needed that for a while. They were overwhelmed with numbers they were getting for a while. I think they're probably at a place now where they'd like to keep the numbers where they are. But this was an issue. They they had three thousand people showing up for limited GPs and had no idea what to do with themselves. Um, so, I mean, that's a problem in and of itself. But it was a problem. 
so yeah, I, I don't know. It's hard to look at this as a negative. Like I said, the TO system was antiquated. I don't think, I'm not saying this is the best possible thing they could have done. You're right. There's a lot of better situation, a lot of better approaches they could have used, a lot of more thorough approaches that would have led to better results. But in comparison to having a bunch of TOs scattered around the globe, providing wildly different experiences, I will take CFB as, as the head of GPs for now. Sure, yeah, there's definitely worse options. <laughs> I don't know. This could be very interesting to, to look back on uh, you know, this time next year. It could be a turning point. I, I think it could be a turning point. And, you know, we've discussed things like the Pro Tour having to be in the same spot over and over and, and making sure that things are more centralized and Wizards does have more control over it and making Magic um, a top-level product, which, by the way, they uh, are getting rave reviews for their coverage of the Magic Online Championship Series. Uh, one of my former teammates, Zvi Moschwitz, wrote an article about how he thought that the, the Mox was the best event he's seen in literally forever, the, uh, the coverage being on point. And let me tell you something, a lot of that comes from using Magic Online as the client. And we all know it's nowhere near being a serviceable tournament, tournament client yet. Um, but if they get something going, you could start to see some big changes coming down the pipeline, especially based on the response to the mocks. I heard a lot of positive feedback for uh, Patrick Sullivan uh, and his I mean, we know Patrick Sullivan's great, right? Nobody's surprised. Patrick and Cedric are the best in the business. Nobody's shocked by that. The fact that they don't do every tournament is preposterous. But, um, yeah, people were pleased with Marshall, too. Uh, Everyone said he did a great job. And a lot of it just comes from having the information. Like, they were able to see hands immediately. They were able to see how people were sideboarding. All of this information being presented snowballs throughout the coverage, throughout the commentators. Um, This is why Magic's... Magic Online is probably the future. Certainly not Magic Online as it is now, but the future version of Magic Online will be the future. <laughs> uh, I don't mean to uh, rag on CFB. Obviously, I was part of organizing a GP. Uh, I was part of organizing GP Toronto last year as a part of face to face games, and it was our first GP. We learned a lot from it, and although like ninety nine percent of people, on, even on Reddit, had nothing but praise from us well, for us. Uh, we recognized things we could have improved on. We didn't have enough food trucks. There, there were a lot of things that we could have improved on. But uh, for, for this past week, it was like sort of bring back the whole bathroom thing. But it was just, to me, I just kept laughing where I was lining up. It's like we're 15 people lining up for the washroom and guys are walking. There's this guy that walks up to me. I'm like the 15th guy. It's like, I'm sorry, can, can I jump ahead in line? I'm in the middle of of a match and I really have to go. And then he goes to the guy in front of me, same question, same question. He keeps saying that and until he can finally go. I just thought that kind of humorous and wish that uh, hopefully at all GPs, I, you know, that, that situation is, is something that I look forward to. Like people have suggested tips in the chat that you try to make sure that, you know, the outside washroom accesses of, of, of the, venue that are outside of the GP. Um, Brian, what are you smirking? It's just crazy. It's crazy that we're scouting bathrooms and other buildings that we can use. Like, what are we? We're like, And these poor businesses, I remember this PTQ I went to in Syracuse where 
literally one toilet for the entire building, 250 of us, and there was a restaurant attached next door, and they just had hordes of magic people coming in and out of their restaurant all day using their bathroom, like walking through the floor of their restaurant so they could use the bathroom. And I'm like, this poor business is just being bombarded. And like, I feel for them, but also I'd like to use a restroom, please. So yeah, I'm probably going to do it as well. So it's it's just crazy. It's It's such poor planning. Overall, like for, for me, I, I do like uh, hopefully to see some consistency. Um, I mean, for, for me, even at the – I've talked about this. I don't think it's possible at the PPTQ level where I, I do want uh, – it's really unrelated, but I do want some consistent, I guess, price structure to be possible sometimes, especially when like sometimes you pay – like I've paid $20 to enter a PPTQ where top aiding is like $20 store credit. It's like what, what the hell is going on here? So – Hopefully, some like in some realms, I like to see consistency, and, and certainly, we're gonna hopefully look back at this as a positive thing one year from now. And of course, you can check out a positive spin by our very own Kelly Ackerman, who wrote an article on Man Deprived with a very clickbaity um, title called "How Sal and I Got Fired." So check it out. A lot of players uh, responded and saying that it was an excellent positive outlook at the news so be sure to check that out uh, for our last topic it's a question from the nation by jennifer Crotz. it's probably directed to robert because he top aided uh once robert's lombardi's opinion and not mine and brian's i know you like me work full-time have a family and competing priorities how do you streamline your testing and make the most out of the amount of time you can dedicate to magic because we we all know you have a kid to take care of for Rob and you've been able to top eight three GPs. So how the heck do you do it? Yeah, the first one uh, was you know not exactly the same because I was I was laid off. I did have a baby, but he was like real young and he just like ate, slept, and pooped. So like when my wife was out doing stuff, I could still like jam moto. Uh, or tests with people that were over and he's just like, you know, hanging out in the bassinet or whatever. Right. (laughs) The, the last one though, like, uh, yeah, it's been definitely harder. Um, I'm actually like pretty busy at work too. So uh, I work like some pretty stupid hours. As you guys have noticed, I think like the last two casts, I was in uh, my lab (laughs) casting from the lab or whatever. Right. Uh, Cause I was still, uh, still in the office when we had uh, the cast starting. Um, I don't know, like, I just, I try to put in the time kind of, like, between 10.30 and 12.30 just to, like, jam a couple of games through a league and, like, test out the kind of the theory that I've been thinking about uh, through the day. And a lot of that is just kind of, like, staying connected to people whose opinions you trust and, like, just hitting them with information and seeing what their response is, right? It was like, hey, like, when I, I kind of was on, like, this built-to-last uh, thought, I was like, hey, maybe in the mirror, like, built to last is not the worst, right? Like, you're going to attack with heart. They're going to try and push it. You just, like, they think they're taking, you know, just three from your toolcraft exemplar, but they're actually going to take, like, nine now, um, and you're, like, at card and mana parity. It's pretty reasonable. And I tried it, and it was, like, you know, it was pretty good, but, like, you lost something in the deck, right? Like, I didn't get to play Thalia's, and I didn't get to play Avacyn's anymore. Those are the four cards I cut for the four built to last. And I was like, yeah, this card seems really good. And I was like, kind of, you know, next time through the league, I'm just going to scale it back a little bit. I was like, I'll try three. Yeah, three was still pretty good. Like, maybe I'll just play one, though. Like, it's like I only need one to blow my opponent out. But, like, if you don't save that first heart, 
then when you drop the second, like whatever, the build to last in your deck, uh, it doesn't really matter, right? Because the heart's dead. <laughs> and what you need to do is you need to save the, the first heart you cast. So you really did need four for that to be useful. And like it just kind of added more variance to the deck that I wasn't uh, really ready to deal with. And then I like thought of the hungry hungry flames thing, and I just kind of messaged people like, "Is this good? Like, it's kind of like an unlicensed disintegration, stops the combo, kills virtuoso. Like, it seems good." And I'm like testing out all these things in my head, um, and then just like kind of you know run them through a quick league. I can get through a league in in about you know two and a half hours uh, with an aggro deck, anyways. Um, and I typically double queue if I'm like seriously testing. I'm like in both the comp league and the the friendly league at the same time just to get the the reps in. Um, and I just want to see, like, how does that deck feel, right? Is the mana base right? Um, am I casting things on curve? Like, Hungry Flames, is it too many three drops? Um, do, like, is the card available to me to cast when I need to cast it? Like, just thinking about that kind of stuff um, allows you to come to conclusions faster, right? So, I don't know. Like, I'm using my time more effectively now, and I've been playing just tighter magic, which also helps. <laughs> so, I mean, if you can just kind of concentrate on your mistakes... Um, and then slowly work through through those um, so that you're like, when you're playing games, you're not thinking about like all the things you're doing wrong. You're just really thinking about like, is this the right configuration? Do these cards suck? How does this deck match up against my opponents? But if you're also thinking like, oh, like did I lose that match myself? Like, oh, I kind of screwed up on turn two. Like, should I play this card? If you're asking yourself those questions, then you're like kind of trying to jump the gun on where your skill level is. And you like really need to remediate like, I don't know, all those early skills first so i don't know like yeah pick something that you're that you're trying to get better at and just like focus on it for two hours a night for like a week or two right um and ask like you, the friends that you have that you think are better than you um their opinions on whatever it is that you're trying to get better at and you'll definitely see an improvement over that two weeks if you don't then you're probably doing very bad you have very bad testing methods <laughs> maybe you're someone that wasn't good at studying in school or something like that and you should like reflect on that <laughs> that skill first <laughs> and then and then kind of work on like okay well how do i build the information given like some results right um so yeah i don't know you could also join first strike nation and just like poke one of us right lots of people have been doing that and a bunch of the guys that came in the car like had joined and they had access to the deck list and a bunch of people had like their personal bests this weekend with with the deck list right um and so I don't know that that really helps. I think just to have someone to really talk to about like specific things that you actually need uh, help with and to kind of identify those things. Right. So, yeah, I don't know. It just takes two hours a day. So like set aside that two hours, it's like working out, I guess. Right. It's like a mental exercise. <laughs> so that that's how I'm doing it. I sacrifice two hours of sleep every day. <laughs> Test. <laughs> that's the secret. <laughs> Brian, what is your, your approach um, because because you 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 said on the show you don't play test so what do you do with your limited time to maximize the result? Well, to be fair, I don't win anymore either. So maybe uh, when back when I used to win, um, well, this isn't even true. I showed up the the GP top eight I have. I was literally reading the cards at the tournament because I had no idea what they did. So I don't think I'm the right person to answer this question. I, I'll give you my my quickest advice. Um, as far as balancing a family, because I, I don't have a kid, but I am married and I have a dog and sometimes he demands care. <laughs> the, the best advice I could say is that make sure that your magic career as it is, uh, is worth it for your significant other. And 
that's kind of weird. Like, why would your significant other care? Well, my wife has gone to um, Valencia, Barcelona, Amsterdam, uh, Vancouver, Costa Rica. We've been all over the world together. I always take her when I travel for magic, if she wants to go. Sometimes she's like, nah, I'll pass a Milwaukee, thanks. Um, but for the she most part, for Vancouver, was she? Did I meet her? She was in Vancouver, and I, I think you did meet her. Oh, man. I'm pretty sure, yeah. Okay. Um, so, yeah, and that's helped a lot for times when I do want to focus on magic, and I can tell her, like, listen, um, you know, I'm, I'm not going to hang out too much the next week or so. I really want to focus on this. You know, hopefully we get a nice trip out of it. And she's like, yeah, that sounds great. I mean, magic has been uh, – she, she has no idea what's going on in the game of magic. She has no interest in – she has no interest in learning, um, but magic has been a very positive part of our marriage despite that, just because of all the opportunities it's opened up. So that's kind of like not a direct playtesting answer, but it's just like a little broader tip and how to get the time um, to, to kind of pursue your goals is just make it matter for your significant other too. Make sure they get to benefit from your magic success. You know, if you spike a GP, go buy them something nice. It's just like a little thing to say, I appreciate you for all the time you know, that I've kind of been stuck to my cardboard and, and you've had to, you know, walk the dog or whatever because I'm in the middle of a match and just say thanks. And I think all that stuff comes back around and, and you get benefits for it. And then as far as just a quick testing tip, I love playing against myself. I use Cockatrice. I build two decks. I play both sides of the matchup. The matchup that I'm personally invested in, the one, the deck that I want to see succeed if I'm trying out a new brew, I play as if my opponent has perfect information. Like they know exactly what's in my hand. And I force myself as the brew I'm testing out to play as if I have no idea what's going on on the other side and just kind of like playing on curve essentially. And that'll give you a really good metric of if your ideas are up to speed, it'll let you see how the matchups kind of play out. Um, and it happens real fast. You can move through a lot of games that way. Um, I, I've liked Cockatrice as a testing tool. Uh, I definitely, if you've never used it before, look into it, see if it's for you. Some people don't like it. For me, it's definitely a, a good tool. Mm. Uh, as for me, I well, Rob, you want to jump in? Yeah, maybe just one more point. <laughs> go, 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 go. So um, I, I see a lot of uh, newer players do this, and I think it's probably important to point out, is that they take a Tier 1 deck and they play it. Um, they ask a couple questions, they play it again, and they still have bad results, right? And they just, like, get off that deck and get onto another Tier 1 deck, like whatever the hot take of the week is or whatever right and then they play that and it's like kind of meh and they play it again and it's still meh and then they switch to another deck and then they switch to another deck and they switch to another deck and like you'll see this a lot in modern where like the format's just like like a revolving door of deck lists right uh, what what's hot that week um and these the, the people that are in that mode are like too busy like learning how to play the deck and they're not at a level where they can just like pick up literally anything and play it with peak efficiency. Like I'm, I'm nowhere close to that. Like I think most of the pros are even nowhere close. You can just like give any random pro lender control deck and be like, yeah, go win. I'm sure they have to put in quite a few reps and really like know the format before, you know, they're going to be able to pilot that thing correctly. So like when you're spending all your time thinking that you're losing uh, because of your, your deck list is bad or whatever, you're not really, you know, focusing on your misplays or like your misunderstanding of the format, like maybe you're misboarding, maybe you're misbuilding, maybe you're understanding your metagaming correctly, right? So I think it's like, if you really want to uh, get better, like pick a tier one deck that you like that aligns with the way that you want to play Magic and like just stick with it through the whole format and see if you can get to a spot where you have a positive 
uh, win percentage, right? Like if you if you start off as a losing win percentage and you got to somewhere where you have a positive win percentage, then like you did it, right? Both your understanding of that deck and the format and its matchups and your play skill have improved over that whatever two month period or, or whatever it is, right? And then do the same thing, you know, the next time. And when you're at a point where you're just like crushing everyone and you're sick of winning money, I guess, then pick up a new deck to kind of branch out and and uh, you know try and gain more skills. Be like, okay, I kind of like really understand the way that aggro matches up against all of these different decks in the format. I'm going to see if I can get a control deck into the same spot, right? If there's, if there's a tier one control deck, not that this format has one, for example, but, uh, <laughs> and then and just kind of like do that, right? And like work on your skills that way. But if you're like constantly like, you're like, oh, I'm going to try blue white control. I didn't like, it. I'm going to try escape shift. I didn't like, it. I'm going to try Tron. Uh, maybe I'll try death shadow zoo. Oh, I'll try affinity. It's just like, you're just not going to do anything useful for like your long-term, like the long-term skills you're going to try and build. Um, if that's if that's what your real goal is, then I, I think you're doing yourself a disservice there. So yeah, I don't know. Stick with it and and build like your core skills um, until you definitely have them. Damn, you stole my point. That was that was my thing. <laughs> that was my thing. <laughs> um, when like when I had my GP success uh, in when I played more and uh, finished, I had top sixteen finishes and I'm still winning now. I just can't close apparently the finals. Lost four in a row. But I'm still having success, and I think Rob alluded to the was talking about the the, the first shortcut I took was just I started with mono. May have started before that because I played Cobblade a lot, but I didn't make that decision. I was always trying to brew, trying to play the latest, I guess maybe Chapin or Jerry T Tech. But then mono black devotion. Since then, I would stick to a tier one deck because that would just cut, especially if you're short on time, just cut that brewing time and go straight to one of the tier one decks, like Rob says. It just cuts a lot of time. And you can still, the thing is, you can still make it your own. You can still feel, if there's a brewer part in you, you can come up with Hungry Flames in the sideboard and feel like, man, I, I figured out something with the deck. I think I'm proud whenever I find some sideboarding tweak or even just a different approach, whether it be um, the different numbers, like how many Avacins or all Avacins in the sideboard, walking ballistas in the sideboard, like just going crazy. And I, I still feel that tweaking part of me um, be satisfied. And the other thing that uh, goes along with that is just something that I think my friends still struggle with is the fear of the mirror match because they think, I don't know, like I think it's a misconception that it's boring, but most mirror matches entail a lot of skill and I think people who try to play a different deck, a brute to attack um, an established deck are just basically looking for a crutch, like an easy card that might like one card KO uh, the other deck without looking for decks where you have to work towards a win. They're just looking for this rogue deck to be able to take people by surprise. And in that sense, you're not really improving your magic skills or putting them to the test. So just stick, like Rob said, stick with a tier one deck. That's, that would be my approach. That's why I've been on Mardu. That's why I've been on Blue-White uh, Flash and have had a lot of success on Moto, always getting up in that 1900 rating and grinding a lot of uh, prize ticks. Well, Rob's killing me because he actually surpassed 1900 recently in Constructed. But having a lot of success just playing that one deck and going like 5-0, 4-1, or just 3-2, making my uh, money back and just keep going, keep going, and saves it saves a lot of time. And then you know your plan for every different matchup. Disagree with anything I said, Rob? 
No, I, I think it make it makes sense, right? Like you're just yeah, you're really doing yourself a disservice. I mean, I guess the opposite <clears throat> can be true for some people that really like like you said, like love that rogue deck uh feel and they don't want to play the mirror match. I feel like uh I guess not to throw shade or whatever, but like Matt Mendoza is like really in that mindset where he wants like he wants his Ponza deck to be good. Like that's where that's where he is. That's what he wants to play. And you're just like you're not building the right skill set when you're doing that. When you're like trying to make a mediocre deck good, um doesn't build doesn't build the right skills. So like it's gonna take you a lot longer. And he's he's there just laughing at me. But um I I I, I just I, I think that it's not uh it's not where you wanna be. And it just takes a lot longer to, to get to where you wanna be, right? Like he's been working at that deck for like, I don't know, two years or something. It's been a long time. So I guess yeah, okay, now he's having reasonable success with it. Cool. Like you probably could have had that success with Obzon in like, you know, two to three months, um, if you would have just uh played that. Um yeah, it's I, crazy I, I how many people too. Like, <laughs> there's so many people who who do exactly what you're saying for so long, and then they finally switch to the best deck. Whatever reason, the best deck catches their attention, and they're like, "Why didn't I just do this in the first place?" That's always the response. Like, I don't know why I did this to myself. And I used to be that way. I used to, especially in Legacy, which is like one of the hardest formats to brew. But I always was playing something crazy in Legacy, and a couple of times it worked out. Like, I made Survival Lose, which ended up being the best deck in the format for a long time. Um, but I made a lot of stinkers too. And, uh, yeah, just, just, if this is, if this isn't appealing to you, try it for one season, for just one season, go to the default best deck, play that deck the entire season, adapt your sideboard. If you're winning a lot, keep your sideboard. You know, when, when things change for you, when you hit upswings, downswings, don't change your deck, change, don't change your deck selection, change the makings of your deck, change pieces of your deck, change your sideboard configurations, and see where it leads you. And you might be surprised with the results and the improvement you make. Hmm. Yeah, and talk talk to people you know that are good and and ask them, like, also confirm, like, is this deck garbage right now in this metagame, right? That's really how you should know if you should kind of get right off it and onto a different strategy, right? Like if, if someone... there was some, uh, some nation they could join, Rob, or maybe they could do <laughs> things like this and figure out you know, bounce ideas off people. If only KYT, if someday such a place exists, I hope that everyone comes to it and uh, benefits from the wisdom of a collective nation. I mean, we got the number one trophy getter in the nation. So like standard constructed guy in the nation. So that's, that's a resource. And he's, he's definitely uh, contributing. I mean, he, he influenced your list, uh, Brian. So lots of good yeah. stuff going on in the nation. We and, all benefit is there anyone uh, while we end the show? Anyone you guys wanted to shout out for from the GP at all that uh, you haven't already? Uh, I could give some shout out. I, I had a great talk with Jerry T this weekend. I always love talking to Jerry T. It was great to see him. Um, I had a, a great car full of companions. Uh, my buddy Phil Bertarelli, who doesn't play a lot, but he's a really smart guy. And if he ever wanted to be a pro tour player, like he would just do it in a second. We were having this conversation where like. He's like, oh, the gap between me and someone like Reed Duke is so big. And I'm like, Phil, it's so not. Like, this, this dude's just like an awesome magic player who could play in the absolute top tiers. But he's got kids like Rob and, you know, spends a lot of time with his family. But I got to spend some time with him. So shout outs to all the people who, uh, you know, have to balance that kind of family life, the working life with magic. And uh, I'm always happy when those people get to come out and have a good time. So those are my shout outs for the GP. 
Yeah, well, shout, shout outs to the fam. Uh, it was good. It was good seeing you guys. Um, shout outs to my car for not leaving without me. I messaged them at four thirty in the morning. Was like, I'm alive. <laughs> don't don't go. <laughs> Wait for me, please. Um, so that was nice. And I <clears throat> I actually um, met up with a bunch of different uh, listeners um, of of the uh, of the cast down there that just kind of came up and said hey and said like you know I like the content and it was pretty surreal for me. I'm not really used to all of this KYT fame that's going on. Um, but yeah, it was pretty sweet. Like uh, if you see me at an event, like I'm definitely personable. Come up, uh, chat me up. I'm not, you know, it's it's not weird. Trust me. Like you can just say like, hey, I listen to First Strike. Um, you know, and if you think it's garbage, then come up and tell me that too. Like I'm interested in hearing the feedback, whatever. Um, so yeah, it, it was it was it was overall like New Jersey was a really good experience. Even though I was sick, uh, even though I top aided, I'm not sure that still has a factor. I was still having a good time and, and meeting a bunch of people was. Uh, was yeah, it was it was it was great. Like we're actually building the nation here, <laughs> so it's it's uh, it's good. I, ho- I hope to see more people at at more events. I'm going to be obviously going to a bunch of GPS as I'm chasing silver this year now. So um, I hope to see more people out there, and I I hope to have some more conversations I haven't had yet. Dude, no one no one comes up to me. Am I scary, guys? Like, do I put off a, a don't approach me vibe at GPS? Yes, Ryan, you had kind of like left the event for a large portion. That, that's of true. I wasn't there. I went and took a nap at like six o'clock on Saturday. Okay, point taken. Um, I, I love meeting. Uh... Hashtag Eldrazi Tron, by the way. <laughs> by the way, Rob. Um, I'd like to thank uh, the people in your car, Rob. I got to meet them. They're mo- Most of them are in the nation, so really, and really supportive of the show. So really glad that I got to meet them. Um, shout out to my car, the Alagruchis and William Blondin. Not only were they awesome, they also surprised me with a little uh, small dessert birthday surprise uh, when I got back to my car. So that was really kind of them. I felt it uh, was really appreciated. And... Uh, yeah, anyone who who came up to me and say just to say that they like the show, that's like just that's huge uh, for me to know that people outside of our circles are listening to this. And shout out to Daniel Forney for being in the chat. Uh, love you, man, and love all the work you do at Face to Face Games Toronto. Um, again, this is it for first strike number seventeen. Please, just please give us a thumbs up if you like the show, just so we can get to that. Like it's all we're almost there to 1k subscriber and check out our patreon patreon.com slash first strike to join our first strike nation facebook group and for rob and brian and me we'll see you for episode number 18 bye guys